Hello and good day, marvelous podcast family. I hope that wherever you are in the world, that you are healthy, that you are happy, that you are making the most out of these trying times on the planet. I am sending you all of my love, good wishes, and support through the airwaves. I am doing as many podcasts as I can to find empowering perspectives on this situation. If you want to support the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Please share on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever. You can support on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair, you can join the academy and get access to the absolutely phenomenal Soul Compass course that will teach you how to use your natural GPS system to create a life of of meaning, purpose, and extraordinary living by your own definitions. And you can get that at bit.ly forward slash mindbodyspirit21. And during this time, I'm doing a pay as you want. So just DM me, uh, send me an email anywhere, matt at zenathlete.com. Let me know what you can pay. Happy to put you through that course and get you access to all the amazing exclusive content and training over there. And for those of you guys who are interested in coaching, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. Some people want to use this time to do courses and level up, and I am happy to support you. So I hope that you're doing well. Let's get into this amazing episode, but first, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose, filling every cell, every muscle and fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, strength, inner knowing, and ready to take on this amazing episode. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the number one practitioner and trainer for neurological integration system in the United States, which teaches healthcare practitioners principles of functional neurology. He has been in clinical chiropractic practice since 1985 and has been using NIS as his primary modality since 1997. NIS is a system that incorporates ancient Eastern medicine practices with current neuroscience and promotes self-healing through detection and correction of signaling disruption in the nervous system. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jim Bentz. Thanks, Matt. It's wonderful to be here. I knew I liked you right away when I found out you were a snowboarder, so... Yeah, well, we were just saying at the at the beginning where I was just above you in Whistler for a bunch of years. It's too too bad I didn't know that. We could have got you out in the mountains and uh, discussed some of this stuff, you know, while while snowboarding some powder. There you go. That would have been wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, I loved looking at your your work. It's super fascinating. Just even reading your bio, that was a very short version. You have a longer one. You've you've done so much work. You you really are a master of your field and and. This is something that was new to me. Uh, shout out Sasha, who uh, from Face the Current, who connected us and said, Matt, you should interview this guy. This is really fascinating stuff. And, you know, I only understand what I'm reading a little bit. And so I would love for you to kind of go in and share a little bit about who you are um, and the type of work you're doing, because it's a very fascinating merger of, you know, these Eastern philosophies with what we're learning now and in, in neuroscience, which each and every year we're really just learning so much more than the year before and the 10 years before we're making very massive leaps on, on the mind body connection. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, as you said, I, I was, you know, I was trained as a chiropractor and, but to go back even a little further, um, 
I was really fortunate in that I was raised in a, in a uh, kind of a very health conscious family. My dad was a dentist, but he was, uh, he was one of the first to actually mercury people's mouths instead of putting them in, right? Uh, and that was back in the 1960s. And I remember when he, he learned that, he came, he came home, and uh, I, I'm the oldest of nine kids, and he took us all down to his office, took out our amalgam fillings, and put, and put gold in, in their place. And I've still got those fillings in my mouth 60 years later. So, um, yeah, and, and my mom, they were both really into nutrition. Like, we, we had very little sugar around the house. We had... Um, we ate pretty much whole foods. We never had junk food in the house. So that to me was normal at that age. Um, and so I was really lucky in, in, in that way. And uh, when I was 18 years old, my dad gave me a book for my birthday that, that was, had a massive influence on my life. And that's uh, Weston Price's book. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. So it's, it was interesting. This, was a, this guy was a dentist uh, who in the 1920s and 30s, he was a pilot and he flew to all these countries that still had um, people who were living a fairly uh, native lifestyle. In other words, they hadn't really been introduced to processed foods yet, white flour, they were eating a native diet. And he was interested in their, their teeth because uh, being a dentist, right? And what he found was fascinating. I mean, these people had perfect teeth. They had no dental decay. They had, uh, their, they had no crowding of the teeth. The, 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 their, their mouths are just beautiful. And he's got all these wonderful pictures in his book uh, showing how, and, and these people didn't have toothbrushes. They didn't have dentists, right? I mean, they were just eating a natural diet, right? And, um, and then he would visit neighboring, uh, cultures who, uh, neighboring cultures who had been introduced to like, uh, white flour and white sugar and things like that. Right. And within one generation, he saw, he saw a degradation, like they started having cavities in their mouth. They started, and, and he actually saw that there were genetic changes that occurred within one generation. Right. So that book had a profound influence on me as far as understanding kind of what we've done, uh, what we've done as far as how far we've moved from those ancestral diets. That then led me to a, a real interest in, in kind of in the whole field of evolutionary biology, which I'll get into a minute, in a minute, but um, uh, when I was, I went to went to school at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. I grew up in Wisconsin, and and uh, I I had a degree in biology. I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do with myself. Then through a a, a set of circumstances, you're talking about consciousness. When I look back, this was all just like the universe was conspiring <laughs> to, to move me in a direction, you know, that I can see very clearly in hindsight. But at the time, I wasn't really, I wasn't really seeing it uh, for what it was. But anyway, ended up going to chiropractic college. 
I graduated in 1985, and I started out just doing traditional chiropractic. Uh, I was doing a lot of spinal manipulation, and, and it was helpful. I, I, I would see some good results, but I wasn't really like, I, my question was, and I've always been curious this way, it's like I would do these adjustments on people in their neck or their back, and they'd be back the next week, and I'd be adjusting the same things over again. That bothered me. It's like, why is that? What's going on? Why? If the body's so intelligent, which we'd been taught in chiropractic college, then why shouldn't I be able to adjust the neck and it would stay in place, right? That really bothered me. Um, and, and then in 1997, uh, I had the good fortune to attend a seminar with uh, a fellow named Alan Phillips, who's an osteopath from New Zealand. And he was teaching this thing that he'd been developing called the neurological integration system. And he showed how tracking down these disconnects between the brain and the body, in other words, what, what, where was the brain not in tune with the body? Uh, that you could make changes that would be quite uh, durable and long lasting because the brain was actually doing the work for us. It wasn't trying, like, we could look at the, the, uh, the chiropractic adjustment as kind of an intervention, right? You're doing something to the body. Whereas in this work, in the NIS work, you're really just getting the brain to understand where there's a breakdown in signaling. Where, where have some of these neurological pathways short-circuited or broken down? So a good example would be that what's classically called in sports injuries, a, a, a pulled muscle, right? It's really kind of a misnomer. What actually happens is that in all the tendons of the body, the muscle tendons, we have these receptors and they're called Golgi tendon organs. And they're sending information to the brain about how much tension is on that tendon. And would, if we exceed a certain tolerance level for that receptor, it kind of short, it short circuits the communication between that and the brain. And then the body guards, it, it, it tightens the muscle up to try to protect it. So it's not really a pulled muscle, it's a, it's a neurological breakdown that's occurring. And when you can get the brain to recognize that and restore that signal between the tendon and, and the brain, the muscle just relaxes. It's, it's just a, a beautiful thing. Same thing happens in joints. The same thing happens in organs, right? Uh, so it was interesting. The week, the first time I went to a seminar with him was 97? Uh, yeah, 97. And uh, it was in Las Vegas. And I remember the, the first day of the seminar. Now, this guy, you talk about dedication, man. He used to fly from New Zealand to, that's a 17-hour flight, from New Zealand to the U.S., right, for a week to teach a weekend seminar and then fly back home. And, uh, but anyway, the first day of the seminar, I'm watching him. And in NIS, like I say, it's really not an intervention in that we're, we're only getting the brain to recognize where these breakdowns are. We're not doing anything to the body. But the correction in NIS is this little tap on the head once we've, once we've found the points that are disconnected. And the brain automatically reconnects them. So I'm watching him up in the front of the room and I'm going, 
I don't know, this is, this is too weird. How can you tap on somebody's head and have, you know, have something be, start working again the way it's supposed to? And I thought, I was very skeptical at first, I got to say. Um, until the second day of the seminar, when he got me up to the front of the room to demonstrate something. Now, I had had from some old injuries, uh, I had had a chronic um, a sacroiliac and sciatic problem. Matter of fact, that's what got me into chiropractic in the first place. Uh, I used to do a lot of running. One day I was out running and my leg just like basically gave out on me. And through a strange set of circumstances that I mentioned earlier, that led me to chiropractic and, and on to chiropractic college. But um, uh, the second day of the seminar, anyway, he get he had me come up and he was going to demonstrate something he was doing. And I don't even remember what it was. But I remember getting off the table and the chronic nagging ache in my right SI joint was gone. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, because I'd been getting manipulations by chiropractors and, uh, and it just wasn't getting any better. So that to me was a real eye opener. Uh, so I've been... I've been doing that work ever since, since 97. And uh, it, it's been amazing to see what happens with patients. So, Wow, that's, that's fascinating. The first thing that I think of when you, when you begin to talk about this is I went to Dr. Joe Dispenza's workshops. I went yes. to um, his, his progressive and then his advanced ones. And, you know, if you know, his work is very fascinating talking about, you know, meditation, similar to Bruce Lipton talking about consciousness, turning on and off genes and, and our ability to heal. And Dr. Joe is a chiropractor. And yep. so I had met many chiropractors and I witnessed their discussions they're, they're very passionate about it. And I learned more about, you know, the spine in that weekend that I ever have from these people and how, you know, it's sending signals to the body, the central nervous system is connected to and all of these various things. And so it really gave me a new scope of understanding of, you know, okay, yeah, we have our minds, but it's going down through our central nervous system and our spine. And that's what, you know, you're studying and looking at. And so can you explain a little bit like how that works. I've had people on that talk about EFT, which is interesting because when I went to China and I trained with the Shaolin monks, they had a class on acupuncture and the, the lines of the body that they had and the detail for every single thing and how they coordinated them. This is, this is ancient uh, science and medicine that they use, that, they, that the main guy at our, at our place, he would be flown and he would be uh, brought to you know high level dignitaries and politicians to heal them using acupuncture and these things and this was from from the academy so this is something that they you have been using and it's finding that point in the body um you know either just tapping it or doing something to open up an energy flow or something like that and so now when we're getting into neurology and this is you know where you've been studying and, and making some uh you know collecting research and i'd love for you to go into that how exactly is that happening? Can you explain that to someone so they can see like how the brain and the body are able to kind of connect these two things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, um, you know, the, the, it's, it, it, we've kind of made a mistake, I think in, in how we see the body, like, uh, we kind of break it down into, into pieces and, 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 uh, when it's really a whole system, right. 
um, the brain really extends through the whole body via the nervous system, right? We've got direct connections through the nervous system to every cell in the body. Not only directly through the nerves, but also through these chemical signaling agents, the neurotransmitters, right? And this is one of the things, I'm very familiar with Joe's work and I love what he does. I mean, the guy's absolutely brilliant. But this is what Lipton showed, right? How these chemical signalers can go to a, a receptor on a cell and have the cell do something. And, and he was brilliant and he was one of the first ones to really demonstrate uh, how, this, how this worked. And uh, so we've got that pathway too that how the, the brain could communicate through chemicals that are released uh, in the body and the brain. And then the third you, you mentioned is the, the acupuncture system, right? These channels of communication that actually go through, that what they've demonstrated, Matt, is that the, the acupuncture meridians are actually in the fascial connections, the fascial, t- fascial planes of the body. And that's, uh, that's a, a, another really sort of nervous system. Uh, uh, they, they call it the paraneural system. And instead of like an alternating current, like our nerves kind of, they, they fire kind of like an alternating current, that uh, acupuncture communication is like a direct current. It's even faster than the nervous system, than the regular nervous system which is, I think, why they get such great results with that. Uh, as a matter of fact, NIS uses acupuncture points on the wrist to actually help figure out where, the, where some of the problems are in the body. So the ancient Chinese figured out a long time ago that there were these points on the wrist that related to all the organs and glands in the body, right? So we found that just by touching those points, the brain is registering information about that organ through that point right and so we're what we're really doing is we're touching points on the body that are related to glands organs joints muscles even pathways in the brain and nervous system itself now the body's super sensitive to touch like you could have somebody come up if your eyes were closed and probably touch one of the hairs on that beautiful beard of yours, <laughs> and you would register that, right? Even with your eyes closed, because the, the, the body's so sensitive to touch. Now, if we touch a point that's related, let's say to a gland, let's say to the liver, right? And you can use these points on the wrist for that. We can also touch directly over the organ. Um, and the brain has got some confusion about the communication between itself and that, and that gland, we'll, we'll see a change in strength in a muscle. So we use a, a, a simple muscle test. And it's not a strength test. It's really a neurological feedback test. And it's really dramatic when you have it done because I work with a lot of athletes. And uh, when you touch a point that's not being registered properly by the brain, it's just like overloading a circuit breaker in your house. That it's like putting that 16th amp in a 15 amp circuit, the arm will just collapse on you. So it's just feedback, the brain saying, 
I don't know what's going on at the liver. And then you can proceed to find out like through other testing, like what pinpoint exactly what the problem is and then restore that communication between the brain and the liver. And, and we see incredible stuff happen. Yeah. Like things start functioning more normally. Um, but this relates to joints, it relates to muscles, tendons, and even emotional stuff. Um, there is no doubt that the emotions have such a powerful influence and, and, and Lipton demonstrated this too, you know, when we're in certain emotional states, we generate certain brain chemistry that tells our body to do certain things, right? And we can track that in NIS as well hmm. and, and get the brain to get congruent with those points again. And when it does that, it allows the whole nervous system to, to, uh, relax under emotional stress. So that's the thing I love about this work is that it covers not only the physical and physiological aspects of health, but also the mental and emotional aspects of health. Now, that doesn't mean the patient is absolved of all responsibility, right? I mean, they if, if they're in a situation where they're under continual stress and they don't do something about it, likely, we're not going to be able to maintain that, that continuity between the brain and the body. Uh, but, and, and that's where I really uh, love to use the principles from uh, evolutionary biology. Really, a lot of these ancestral healing practices, right, like, like acupuncture that I think is, is a brilliant system of care. We have an acupuncturist uh, working in our office, as a matter of fact. Um, but if, if, we look, if we look back at our, our evolutionary history, you know, modern homo, homo sapiens been around for about, I think they say about 100, 150 million years, right? Well, for most of that time, we were hunter-gatherers. Uh, we didn't have grocery stores. We didn't have houses. We didn't have central heat. Uh, we didn't have cars. So, uh, you know, life was much different, but we evolved uh, under certain evolutionary pressures. A good one to think about is like um, diet variation. In other words, feast famine, right? Though they went through feast famine cycles, right? Food was not plentiful. It was what they could catch and what they could find. And so they went through periods where their food was not so plentiful and then where they had lots of food. I mean, it was, and we found that we can use that to our advantage today with things like fasting and intermittent fasting because the, we evolved mechanisms in our body to deal with that food uncertainty, right? And what we know is that uh, using those strategies, uh, even today in, when we've got plenty of food, but by consciously choosing to limit our food intake at times, uh, it has huge advantages. It's interesting that the only thing scientifically uh, proven to increase lifespan is caloric restriction. Not meaning diets, like eating less, but as one of my mentors says, it's not about eating less, it's about eating less often, right? Mm. 
So that's just one example of how we can use some of the things from evolutionary biology uh, to really improve our health today. I mean, uh, I love fasting and intermittent fasting, and it's made a huge difference for me and my health. Another one is, uh, uh, you know, what they call, uh, now they call it under different cryotherapy or contrast therapy. I mean, we evolved living outside pretty much, right? We didn't have central heat. We had to be able to adapt to a wide range of, of, of temperatures. And again, those mechanisms for our body to be able to do that are still preserved in us. So we know like one of the, my favorite things to do is get up in the morning, get outside first thing in the morning, get my feet on the ground, get, get grounded and uh, you know, maybe do some squats or just, you know, face the incoming light. Now that does a couple things. Number one, it's usually colder in the morning. Uh, then I can do some squats, get a little exercise and reset my circadian rhythm, right? Uh, which is another thing that was in, it, we developed over our evolutionary history is that sleep-wake cycle uh, syncing up with the, the setting and rising of the sun. Um, you know, so there's all these things that, that you know, and activity variation, that's another thing, like, um, I don't know if you've read um, Yuval Harari's book, The Sapiens. It's a, it's a great book. But he, he, he says, you know, from all the evidence we have, it appears that hunter-gatherers really laid around a lot. They didn't. <laughs> In other words, they had, these, they had these periods of intense activity, like they, when they would be chasing game. But then, when they, then they would spend a lot of time recovering. And this is one of the things that I see today with, with um, I'm all for exercise, but I think uh, people don't give themselves enough recovery time. Hmm. They, don't, they don't relax and rest enough. So again, just mimicking some of these things that we evolved with, we found can really be beneficial. You know, it's interesting the the agriculture was the first agricultural settlements were about 10,000 years ago, which is kind of a very brief blip on our evolutionary history. So it's pretty recent, right? And there's some good evidence to show that, that um, shortly after the advent of agriculture, that people's physical, con people were shorter. Uh, they had more dental decay. They had, uh, apparently a lot of a lot more autoimmune diseases than did their hunter-gatherer ancestors right they were eating a lot of grains um, and uh, and which have been shown to cause some problems uh, and not eating these ancestral diets as much right so it's just a fascinating to see how we evolved and where we've come and like my personal feeling is that we've gotten too comfortable. You know, I mean, we live in these climate controlled houses. We, uh, we drive everywhere. Uh, you know, we go to the gym to work out, which is fine. But what about just like walk into the grocery store or something? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely expedient to do those things, but, um, uh, 
and, and just the the um we we don't stress our bodies enough that's really the bottom line hmm. wow well you said so much there and and i was just enjoying listening because there are so many fantastic points i want to kind of touch on one by one or at least some of them so if i'm understanding correctly you know when you're looking at the um ais system you're NIS. using what is it nis nis yes neurologic system. integration okay yeah. cool you are using um kind of these these acupuncture points to do testing to kind of like test the body using the neurology using the pathways in the system like it the ingrained biology um, our own engineering to understand what's going on. Then when you do that, that I, what I wanted to right. ask was, once you kind of have that test, how do you link it back up? How do you like rehook it up so it, it begins to work again? And would you be able to share? Well, I'm actually going right into questions because I want to comment, comment on so much of that. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to come back. I'm going to comment first. Yeah, I, what you're saying about us becoming too comfortable, I think is so right. Actually, interestingly, over January, our coldest month, I was out training every night, uh, going out and making some of my training, make sure I'm getting out in nature, going for runs, uh, getting yeah. in the snow, going barefoot in the snow, getting cold, um, just engaging in the elements. It's one of the main training that um, my Native American teacher, David Lomber, has me do. And a lot of it's just getting out into nature. But there's a yeah. lot of supportive science that says you need to reconnect. And so a lot of it's cold, a lot of it's challenging and dirty, and I don't want to do it, but I forced myself to do it anyway and had really great results. And I had this epiphany that it seems like our comfort is killing us. When you, when you go back in evolution and you looked at hunter-gatherers and how they had to live, they had strong backs, they had strong legs, they had great cardio. Because of their environment, they were forced to be tough and really see what these bodies are capable of doing. And now with modern comfort, we've just kind of gone so far one way. And you look at the world in the Western world and developed countries, you have obesity, which uh, Troy Casey uh, was very interesting episode. He just talked about it as mutation because you are eating all of this food that's not even real. You're not even getting the the nutrients. Your body is so big it can't function how it's supposed to. You don't think uh, clearly or at your maximum optimal capacity. And so all of these things that we've taken these comforts, we've gone out of from our natural way of being. And so. It's so important to integrate those things back into our lives and how beneficial they can be in such a simple way. And so I want, there's other stuff I wanted to share, but I'm curious if you can speak a little bit on, um, you know, the new science that you're seeing um, come out from, from this field and how is it that the, it gets reconnected so oh. that we're, we're back, we're back in, um, that's what I would love to understand. Yeah. I was just like, how do how the heck does that happen? How do you, how are you able to reconnect it? Yeah, I'd be glad to share that with you. Um, so we're using touch, basically. We're, we're, we're just touching points on the body. And we know through a lot of research, like even the, the ancient uh, Chinese principles, we know those points are related to different parts of the body, right? Now, that touch is being registered in a specific area in the brain called the uh, post-central gyrus, which is in the sensory cortex of the brain, okay? It's really interesting if you look at, uh, they, they have these diagrams online, you could Google homunculus, brain homunculus, 
and you'll see a representation of, of uh, how much like neural real estate is devoted to certain parts of the body. So it's, it's kind of a caricature, but the hands are huge, the lips are huge, the jaw is huge, the genitalia are huge. Uh, so these are all points, we've got such sensitive touch in our fingers, we have such, so much ne neurologically going on in our jaw for speech, uh, control of those muscles for speech, the tongue is huge, right? Um, so those areas have these huge neurological inputs back to the brain. But when we're touching these points on the body, like I say, it's registering in that area, that post-central gyrus, which sits just behind the motor cortex in the sensory cortex. So the way it works is this. You think about how we do something like, you know, just like moving my hand, right? Those signals to my right hand are originating in my left motor cortex, okay? They, those, those pathways all cross over from left to right in the brainstem. That's why a stroke on the left side of the body, or on the left side of the brain will affect the right side of the body, right? yes? So those signals go out, they tell my fingers to contract. And then I've got all this sensory feedback, these motion sensors called proprioceptors in my joints, uh, pressure receptors, hot, cold, pain, vibration receptors. They're sending information right back on those same circuits to the sensory part of the brain. That's how we get smooth motion is by that sensory feedback. And then that sensory feedback actually modulates or changes the motor output. So we get nice, smooth, coordinated motion. So that we call that a motor sensory loop. It's just a loop of information that's going around at about 300 miles an hour. So several times a second, that pathway is firing, right? Well, when we touch these points that are related to these different organs, glands, joints, things like that, that information is registering right in that post-central gyrus in that sensory cortex. And if they're not connecting, just touching those points will make the brain aware of that disconnection. That's where we see that weak muscle response, right? And that's the brain confirming. It's like the brain is saying, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not able to make a connection between those points. And then in NIS, what we do is we just do a light sensory input, just a little tap over that post-central gyrus while we're holding the points that we've found, right? Hmm. And immediately you see a change. Like it, it's, it's wild. I mean, you'll see uh, tight muscles relax. You'll see joints start to function normally. Um, you'll see uh, changes in, um, you'll see start seeing changes in certain organ function like almost immediately um, so it's just the brain reconnecting these points of the body now uh, so why do, another question is like why do these things break down like, why do these things break down and they really break down because of uh, we've exceeded a certain threshold of stress and that's really individual you know, somebody who's, who's uh, not well physically has a much lower threshold to stress than someone who's, you know, like you running around in the snow barefoot, right? 
So, um, so that's a very individual thing. But we all have our threshold. When we push past it, we start to break down. Now, it's not really that we break down. It's the body trying to protect us. It's like the body, the body is saying, you've exceeded the threshold for that muscle. And now I'm going to have to try to protect you and guard you, and I'm going to have to try to adapt to you exceeding that threshold, right? So uh, it's, you know, stress from either physical stress and mental and emotional stress is a huge one. That'll break down circuits really fast. And again, through these chemical pathways that, that Lipton and others have described so well. So it's just really a lot of the work is really more analytical kind of diagnostic, trying to understand who's not talking to who. And then the, the, the correction is very simple. It's just this, we call it integration, which is this little tap on the head. See, that's what I say when I first saw it, I thought, this is too simple. How could, how could it be that simple? But you know what I found over time, Matt, maybe you've seen the same thing, is that the, the most elegant solutions are often the most simple solutions, right? Yep. So. Yeah. Well, that's, it's super interesting because as I'm listening to you talk, what it's making me think about, I was recently, I want to do the splits. Uh, I, used yeah. to, I was always able to do the splits. Uh, I haven't really been stretching too much in my training, just a lot, of, a lot more running, a lot of different training. And stretching takes time, man. I only got so much time in the day to, <laughs> to train. I wish I could train more often, but, you know, I got about an hour, sometimes two hours. And so, you know, I've been lacking on my stretching. And so I started looking things up, and there's a guy named Pavel Tatsulin. I don't know if you've come across his work. I haven't. Very fascinating guy. He's this Russian strength coach. He popularized the kettlebell. And he also does things on uh, stretching and 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 his his stuff is amazing. Uh, you know, I've gotten so much stronger by using his protocols, which were very simple too. Uh, I never did a deadlift in my life because I don't know why I would ever deadlift. And you know, I was a skateboarder and a snowboarder, so I didn't want to go to the gym. I would only do martial arts type of workouts, which was like hitting the bag and running and cardio circuits, things like that. Never touched a, a weight really. Um, and so you know, I looked at his protocol and what it was, was three sets of uh, five deadlift every yeah. second day. And so it doesn't blow out the body, um, right. you recover fast and it takes you no time. So you could do that along with your training. So I started doing that in Vancouver when I was skateboarding all the time, because I didn't want to train, blow my body out and not be able to skate because skating takes a lot of energy, especially when you get older. And so <laughs> I started to do that and got incredibly strong. And then I yeah. added some of his other protocols, which were very minimal and got incredibly strong. Now at home, one of the suggestions I give to people um, that work in office jobs or they say they don't have any time, he says, you know, get a kettlebell that you can swing 10 times with one arm and you need to know how to swing a kettlebell properly. Do 10 sets of 10 swings throughout the day. That's 700 per week you would do. So 2,800 a month, right? And your body will adapt to that. It's such a high level exercise. So I have that and also a pull-up bar in the house. Yes. And so just doing those simple things over time um, create an extraordinary result. And so I was looking at his book on stretching. And so he's sitting there doing this Russian stretch, you know, and he's this jacked Russian guy, never has a shirt on. And he's got the full stretch. And he says in the book, you know, actually, uh, it's like, so his method is really stressing out when you go down to the bottom of the splits, you stress, you, you flex, right. And then relax, flex and relax. That's the method. But he said, 
there's actually no connection between that part of your leg. You could left up the one leg and make it 90. Then you can put it down and you make the other leg and you can make it 90. So why can't you do both? Because there's actually nothing there that you need to stretch out. And when I read that, I was like, what? What? <laughs> and he's like, it's simply neurological. It's simply that your brain thinks that you're going to be putting yourself in a compromised position. And so when you're speaking and you're connecting these pathways, it almost seems like coding the the body you know like our, our hardware is the body right in the computer but that you're going into the software and you're saying you know what i'm going to change this program connect these two things so you do a little bit of coding now all of a sudden the body has a new operating system or it has a new ability and so from that frame i'm curious what's possible and your view on the idea of like we need to kind of go past stress so david goggins uh, have you read his book? I haven't. Um, basically, he just does unbelievably ridiculous things that pushes the body beyond any kind of notion of reasonable or normal. And you're like, what in like, he's doing 100 miles after 100 mile run without training really after doing a day of like crazy, crazy, heavy lifting with one of his army buddies and his body's shutting down and he's crapping himself and he's like basically dying, but he's able to push back so far, so much further. When I trained in China with the Shaolin monks, one of the masters could break stone with two fingers and they would practice punching and kicking the trees. They would, they basically were the most intense personal trainers you could ever imagine. You were just pushed beyond that capacity of the body saying, hey, I want to stay comfortable. You can't go any farther. And so you look at the Shaolin monks, you look at someone like David Goggins, and you look at someone like Wim Hof, who was yep. kind of coding from the inner engineering. And I'm wondering just your view on like the capacity of the human body and where you think we can go. Because I think a lot in your work, it's helping people that are like, you know what, maybe I'm overweight and my body's not cooperating and I, I don't even have the basic health. So I'm wondering... That seems like a quick, a quick transition if they get the diet right. They, they stop stressing out so much. They, they do those basic things. But then we've got the other side of what the heck are humans actually capable of? What are the limits of these things? Because we seem to be continually breaking them. And this kind of idea almost seems like uh, a bit of a coding and a bit of a hack for understanding, you know, opening up these new abilities, whether it's uh, expanding our awareness or it's actually right in the physical body. Maybe we can access more strength. Um, as I'm ranting here, I'm going to close with this because I keep going. But I'm curious, I've been using the example a lot lately of a woman who has their car, you know, car in an accident and they lift the car and there's a child. What the hell happens there? Because we know what's happened. There are documented cases. These people have no business lifting cars, uh, what they do. They don't have that strength. But something's happened. The body, the nervous system, spirit, the universe. Um, and so I'm curious your view on, on that big rant of what you could give back and what your understanding is, of is all that. Oh, man, you, you, you've hit on something that, that I have been immensely curious about for years, right? We have no idea what's possible. But yeah, I read those same accounts about the the you know the mothers lifting the car off the kids, right? And um, so many other things. I mean, there's um, uh, if you're, there's a book Michael Talbot, Holographic Universe. Uh, he talks about some of that, right? These incredible physical feats. I mean, we know that we know that 
some of the, the Indian yogis can slow their heart rate down to almost nothing, right? So uh, I think it's a frontier that we're just beginning to be able to explore, right? I don't think we, re I don't know that, you know, certain physical matter has certain limits, but I think we've not come close to exploring. And I think the, the comfort piece is a big part of that. Not, you know, I, I saw a great quote the other day. It said, growth and comfort can't coexist together, right? I mean, uh, we have to be able to get outside what we think is possible or what we think is even comfortable to be able to move past all that. Um, yeah, I, I, I know a guy, an acupuncturist, who spent some time with the Shaolin monks, and the stories he told me, I was just like, are you kidding me? It, uh, I mean, crazy stuff, right? Um, so, yeah, I, 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 to me, it's a fascinating area. And I think if we can, that's one thing I love about, uh, about being able to use this work in my practice. Uh, I work with some athletes, and um, and and they're really excited about it because they can they can feel the difference right in in like how they can kind of push push beyond what they thought was possible but then i have to question like how much of that is just um i think that's really in the realm of consciousness math that we're talking about as far as we we set our own limits consciously right and I think that's why I love to explore that idea of consciousness and and what's possible there, because that's a that's that's another realm. You know, if you look at like the Toltec traditions, and and I don't know if you've read the Castaneda books, but um, you know that he came out of that tradition, right? And I don't know how much of that's fact and fiction. Doesn't really matter uh, to me. It was always quite fascinating. So, um, you know, this idea that somehow consciousness, mind, brain, that these are uh, somehow separate entities, they're not. It's, it's, it's a much bigger picture than any of us are really aware of or that we really know. But I, it's so cool to see people like yourself out there exploring that, 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 uh, that frontier, because it really is a frontier as far as I'm concerned. And I'm fascinated by it too. And this is, you know, to me, the, the NIS is one one tool uh, that I found very helpful. But I think exploring these other things as well is is uh, is just so exciting to see where that's going. Hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting about your work is that you're you're also involved in the science and looking at these new discoveries and people are coming to you because they have an issue. And so yep. you're looking at methodologies that actually create effect. And if they work, then, then it just works and you use that. And so if people are coming in and, and this is working, you're like, okay, this is working. And then you, you bring in the science side of like, well, how is this working? Why are they getting the results? You know, how is this possible? And both of those are very important. And even, you know, when we were talking about simplicity before, you know, emotional freedom technique, EFT is so simple. Yeah. And the more I do these podcasts and the more I research, the more I understand why it works. And it's so simple. You know, you go from what you don't want. Don't think about getting punched in the face. Don't <laughs> imagine a pink hippopotamus. Your mind does that. 
And if you add it to an emotional thing, the wiring in your brains creates an emotion and an image and you live it. And so all you need to do is switch to the thing that you want, you know? And so you reframe immediately and you put that energy there and you're kind of disconnecting and that, um, that emotion and going to what you what you prefer. And now they have, um, you know, studies and science about understanding neuro pruning, how when you are firing other cells that, that the other ones that you didn't want, right, your shame or your guilt or your problem or your, your anxiousness, or your depression, it gets a little bit smaller because you're deliberately coding. And I think that that idea there is what all the spiritual books and religious books are talking about when they say you are the creator, you know, the divine is with, within all of that kind of ideas saying you do have the ability to influence here in a, an amazing way. And, you, and when you connect to that impulse within you, that's what you need to engage in is that deliberate thing. But when you're in the monkey mind all day and when you're in stress hormones all day and when you go from sugar to comfort, to stress, to task, <laughs> to home, to worry about bills, to Netflix, to sleep, you're not experiencing any of those other ranges of, of emotions, brainwave states, capabilities, um, you know, access to what this body actually has to offer. You're eating without taste. I remember even me this summer, I was going through, I don't know what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> who knows, man, it's hard enough work keeping me on track. But I, for whatever, I love ice cream. And I just remember eating this whole massive <laughs> bowl of ice cream. I don't even think I tasted it. I'm just, I was, cause I was working so hard and I stressed. I ate the whole bowl of ice cream. I was like, that was a huge bowl. I didn't, I didn't stop to eat one taste of that, you know, it's like, okay, you got to chill out, right? Because I got in my own rut of, of life and we need to, we need to kind of slow that down and we need to break it out a little bit. And so when the science catches up to these mystical things is very, very fascinating. And I'm curious, um, in what have you seen in, in the most exciting discoveries as far as brain re- research or, or what you're seeing in the field that's saying, you know, we're catching up and holy smokes, what does this mean? Because some of those pioneers for me are Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, um, autobiography of a yogi, although he didn't really, he, even though they say it's science and um, there's some saying that goes, uh, it's, it's mystical until, it, until science catches up with it. Somebody can correct me and throw it in the comments somewhere, but you know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah. it seems supernatural until the, the science explains it. And yeah. uh, so, yeah. yeah so that was, you, you know, Yoga, Yogananda was, I read that book a long time ago and it still had, it had a very profound influence on me. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, you're, you're, I, I think you're, you're, you're right on. I mean, we get, we get, we're our worst own enemies most of the time, right? Um, and look, it happens to all of us, you know, where we get in those places where we get, um, we just kind of narrow our focus down and, and, um, and if, if, and we need that, we need to be able to do that. But we also, I just think we don't, we don't take enough time for ourselves to create some space, right? Uh, and, and look, I'm I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I got a I got I mean I got a busy life, uh, but more and more I'm seeing the value. And, and I'll tell you where where when I see that like my like my relationships are not moving forward. Like I'm married to this wonderful woman, and you know we both we're both busy people, 
but we find that you know we're in trouble when we start to kind of are not spending time and having a good time with each other having fun right i mean and that happens to us and we have to kind of consciously take the time and create the space for us to reconnect right um because that's where it's really at as far as i'm concerned is is um that's where the, the, the joy of life is, is really is in our connection with other people and our relationships with other people. You know, there's a danger of getting a little too self-focused. But you, you brought up something that I just want to touch on real quick, and that's deadlifting. Um, are you familiar with a guy by the name of Nassim Taleb? I know the name. Yeah. He's one of my favorite new people to read. So he, he's written a lot about just what we're talking about. Um, he talks about the, like, uh, like what he would say are natural, like getting out outside and being in nature. And, and, um, but, but for exercise, he, uh, so this guy was interesting. He was a, a trader on uh, Wall Street for years. and. Um, and, and then he, he, he moved away from that field and started looking at systems because he was interested in, first of all, economic systems and how they worked. And then he looked at all systems and how they worked. And he, he, he found a common thread, which was the more you intervene in a system, the more fragile it becomes. And the more you follow like natural inborn things like our, our natural propensity to deal with fasting or cold or stuff like that. It actually enhances things. But he uh, had some bad, he had some back problems. And of course he went to a, a doctor and he said, well, you need to have back surgery. And he said, I don't think so. I don't think I'm gonna do that. And he started doing deadlifts and healed his back. And that's what he, that's his favorite exercise in the world anyway. And so I, that's what I started. I, start, I do deadlifts at home and I have a pull-up bar. It's, weird that's i because i'd prefer that over going to the gym any day and it's much less it's quick it's fast i'm done and i've noticed huge gains with that right hmm. uh, but it's just putting that quick short-term high intensity stress on our body hmm. right hmm. instead of you know slogging away on a treadmill for an hour which doesn't really do much of anything for us right yeah when you deadlift it activates the central nervous system too it does. so with the with pavel what he was saying is it's like the minimal dose you don't you don't overdo it because then you've got to recover so right. much more and so when you're just getting that little bit the body can sustain it recover really quick and this was the technique that they used for the russian lifters and i think it was the earlier late 80s and they broke all of the records Wow. Um, and so the same thing goes with, uh, I think it's like the wrestlers somewhere. I don't know if it's like Eastern European or something. They're known for being the best wrestlers in the world. And yeah. what they do is they, they make it more like play. They're training all the time. So it's this balance of consistency. And that's really what it is. It's doing something every single day rather than blowing yourself out, having right. to recover. And it's a little bit more natural for longevity, for strength. And so, it, you know, I find that intersection fascinating because on the one hand, the Shaolin monks are pushing me way beyond and so is David Goggins. And on the other side, you have this strength protocol with uh, Pavel that seems to work really well. And I feel like it's that balance that sometimes you push yourself because at that bare minimum, when you, when you do those things that 
you don't think are possible, you stretch your mind, you stretch your vision, you stretch your capabilities. And that was the biggest thing that I took home from trading with those Shaolin monks is I was like, I can do so much more than I allow myself to because these guys got way more out of me because they were hitting me with branches and doing all kinds of things. <laughs> and, and But watching their training and how they engaged with nature, the amount of discipline, the amount of focus, the amount of wisdom over time, dedication over time. They train martial arts all day, every day for you know years. And so wow. if we can take that ability to something we're passionate about, and I wanna just kind of say, when you're talking about giving yourself space, I'm going through, I just am starting uh, Stephen Kotler's new program through Mind Valley, which is going to be awesome. I'm very excited about it. And he just talked about, you know, your, and I've used a similar reference, but people are working jobs that you said this in this study from the Gallup Institute is 84% of people are dissatisfied in their job, like actively. And he's like, if you got to make a space of an hour a day, or like a, th a three hour chunk twice a week. You have to make that space. If you do that space to reflect, really think, you know, something for you, something you're passionate about, your life will be different in six months. It'll be different in a year and it'll be a different in two years. And what happens is we're entrained and entrenched and kind of like almost hypnotized in a way to just keep going through this yep. repetitive motion. It's like you have uh, train tracks in your brain and your body you know, it's like you go to work and you didn't even think about it or, you know, you have the day off and you're driving to the office and you're like, why am I doing this? It's because your body is so entrained in what you're getting it to do. And so it is possible to set new tracks. And it's important that I think that physical way of training the body, that discomfort, um, that pushing, all of that is helpful. And even just cold showers. You know, yep. it's, it's all helpful for your neurology, your mental toughness, your capacity, your belief in yourself. And it's essential training in, in my view anyways. Yeah. You know, you were talking about the science catching up with, with some of these things. I'll just give you one, one example that I find really exciting. And that's the work. Are you familiar with a guy named Walter Longo? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's the one that's really demonstrated what happens like when we we do what's called caloric restriction in other words things like intermittent fasting uh block fasting things like that like i do i intermittent fast most days but then i i a couple days like one day a week i eat a lot more right it's it's not doing the same thing over and over every day it's variation then three or four times a year i do a five-day water fast but you know it's interesting what longo showed uh, he's done mainly animal studies, but they're starting to do some human studies that are verifying the same thing they're seeing in animals. And that is that they restrict, calorically restrict mice. They live 30% longer than genetically identical mice that can eat on demand, right? Not only that, the thing that I find really exciting is that they, they, um, they don't develop the usual diseases of old age. Like they don't develop uh, cognitive decline and they don't develop arthritis and they don't develop diabetes and they, their cancer rates like way, way, it's 90% lower than the other mice, genetically uh, similar mice that haven't been restricted in their caloric intake. So we're seeing, and he's now shown that when we fast, we actually start producing it, it, it. We get this after about three days of fasting, 
we, we get this huge surge of new stem cells being released in the body. So basically we're just, uh, they, they now have proven that, that this, this improves uh, stem cell activity, it improves mitochondrial activity at the cellular level. I mean, so the science is catching up with some of these ancient things and why they work. You know, something like Wim Hof, where he's, you know, they've definitely shown that cryotherapy stimulates uh, mitochondrial uh, growth and, 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 and numbers, like, dramatically, right? So, uh, yeah, there's no doubt that these things have, have scientific validity behind them, so. And did he, did it say how long you needed to fast for? And the other fasting is very fascinating. I, I did a lot of research in it probably about a year ago. A friend of mine did like 50 days of no food. He did, I don't know if it was through him, but it was like activated charcoal. So I was eating like this, like mush, not a lot of it. It's very, very, very minimal. So basically no food other than this like mushy stuff. But when I looked into it um, and even had, you know, uh, shoot, I forget his name. He did a documentary on uh, living on light of people, maybe just living off uh, air, living off nothing. Breatharianism could be, I don't know. It could, you know, it, I, I don't know. Um, but Yogananda in the book talks about that and it's, it's fascinating. But in the research, I saw that the longest documented case was 63 days. I think that's what it was. You got to check it out. Um, do a Google research for yourself, especially if I'm saying something, you might want to double check because I remember what the meaning was. The meaning is it was a damn long time, 50, 63 yeah. days, something like that. And it was during World War II and they just were starving people. Yeah. Somebody made 63 days without food. And so people now think you're going to die if you miss lunch. Oh, yeah. I was watching the office <laughs> with my with my girlfriend the other day and you know michael scott he goes into the forest and he's sitting there and he's like i haven't eaten for two hours and, you know and he's, he's so stressed out about it <laughs> it's so ridiculous and that's kind of the way we are now and so it's beneficial to like i've always thought that pushing my body in certain ways and you know you don't want to do it in unintelligent ways but even if you want to quit an addiction um just do a 48 hour fast you yeah. know, I, it, it resets everything. I, as soon as I do that, I'm able to reset everything, like even neurologically, because I'm in the patterns of coffee and eating too much and whatever. Yeah. And then I can dive back in and, and I've reset everything. I actually did that recently in January because over the holidays, too much junk food, uh, too many casual beers. And so I was like, all right, here we go. You know, and, and it's helped reset. And now a much better diet than I was before, much more focused, much more productive. And so I think it's that middle way, that path of what can you sustain long-term? Yeah. Well, here's what the science shows, Matt. Five days of water fasting is optimal. So you don't have to kill yourself. And, and uh, you get, you'll get as much benefit out of a five-day water fast as you would going 10 days. They've shown the optimal benefit is five days. And that's based on a lot of good science. Um, but even a 48 hour fast, like I do that quite often. And, and uh, the thing that strikes me on fasting, you, you mentioned it, but it's that, like that mental clarity that comes with it is amazing, you know? And it's so funny when I tell people I fast and they go, you mean you don't eat? Like they're like, you, are you sure you're gonna, you can do that? Is that, is that okay? Is that safe, you know? I mean, yeah, it's crazy. But you know, if you if you watch, I mean, when I go when I'm just 
I just observe other people a lot because I find them fascinating. But people are always got, they're always putting something in their mouth. I mean, they're, they're eating bars and they're eating something out of a bag. I mean, they're eating constantly. And, you know, that's spiking our blood sugar all day long and provoking this insulin response, which is just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really um, saddening to me to, to see people struggling with, with obesity and, and, and things like that when it's totally preventable, right? Um, but again, it's it's uh, it's how how comfortable do you really want to be? You know. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I think the water fasting is is a fascinating one, just because that mental clarity. I remember the first time I had it. It was it was like holy crap! I wish I had yeah. thought like this all the time. And what I found is that I just it's not even that I'm hungry after a while. I just addicted to eating. I just yeah, want to eat. It. I just, I'm bored. You want to eat for all these other reasons. And the second day for me is easier than the first. And so uh, if you haven't tried it, you know, give it a try. And even, um, you know, a mono fruit diet, like just grapes. And I did that recently too. And someone's like, why'd you eat just grapes? And I was like, I don't really know, but I had Dr. Henry Morse on my podcast and very fascinating guy worked with a lot of, he's a proper doctor working with a lot of people with terminal illnesses, these different things. And I say, what do you do if somebody's like, they're going to die, they have a tumor, they're like basically done for, what do you recommend for them? And he said, 40 days of grapes. He's like, it's so alkaline. Um, you know what I mean? Let's get your body back on. And he's like, we've seen tumors shrink. We've seen cancer. Yeah. We've seen all this stuff from 40 days of grapes. And you can fill yourself up on grapes. And I recently had another guest on um, the Sprout book, Doug Evans, that's it. And mm -hmm. he just talked about how he was living the American diet, you know, he's like, I couldn't imagine not eating pasta and bread and Chinese food. And someone was saying, you know, you can just fill up on your favorite fruit. And so even that, you know, it's just, it's a switch if you've never done it. And that's why I like to do all these things. I like to do, you know, really hard, long meditations at times. I've done all these different practices and, you know, it doesn't give me like some sort of enlightenment or higher consciousness, but it gives me a frame of reference for possibility within myself and what I'm capable of. Otherwise, it's an idea. And so all of those things, they accumulate over time and they allow you to see your own self and the boxes you're in. So you can kind of notice your own ruts if you've gone a little bit too far and it gives you more awareness of self. Um, and it gives you also a frame of re reference for how you feel. How do you feel if you just eat KFC every single day? How do you feel if you eat too much candy? How do you feel when you add running uh, every day in your how do you feel when you um, shut off all your social media and just receive positive mental nutrients, as they say in Buddhism, you know, uh, and study and all these different things. And um, you notice the results you get and how much better you feel. And the problem is that when you're in a space, you're not inspired to be, it's hard to kind of get to that, that next one. So just do one simple thing, like the watch in, walk in nature 15 minutes. If you're doing nothing, you're overweight, you're depressed, everything's the worst. Just do 15 minutes of walking outside. You know, yep. just that every day, in addition to all your other habits, ch it'll change the game. It's one new thing and you're giving nature and you're giving, uh, um, like, like no, not sameness, complexity, something different. You're introducing something different to your body, to your mind. And now that's going to offer that little bit of space to do a next thing and do a next thing. Right on, man. That's beautiful. I mean, uh, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Wasn't really a question. Yeah, so I appreciate the comment. I was like, you can follow up. Um, uh, 
if you want, but I wanted to ask you, um, this has all been amazing and your, your work is very fascinating. Obviously you're continuing doing a lot of this research on, you know, I, I find neurologic, what do you even call it? Neuroscience, yeah. neurology, the study of neurology, the mind-body connection, very fascinating. And it's important that we begin to connect the two dots between you know, science and what we're thinking because it's going to open up new opportunities for speedier recovery, for understanding you know, why and how these things work and how we can use them to our advantage. And so I wanted to ask if there's anything that you wish that I had asked or any topic that you wanted to discuss before we uh, end the conversation. No, I don't. I think we covered a pretty broad range, Matt. Uh, I thought it was you. You're, you're an inspiration, man. Um, and and because you're living it, and that's the thing that's important, right? Um, and and uh, and and for me, that it's always been like I would never ever recommend something to my patients that I haven't done myself. I think yeah. that's that's bordering on unethical, right? Mm-hmm. To tell people to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, right? Yep. And uh, so I've been my own guinea pig, like you probably have for yourself, right? But you know, you know, like when you've done something that that works, you feel better, you've got more energy, you've got more clarity of mind, and that's what it's all about. Um, and and so no, I I uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation and and. Uh, uh, just encourage people to to take some of these things to heart and, uh, you know, just try something new, try something different, you know, get out. I love the idea of just getting out in nature more. I mean, that's where we, that's where our, that's our history. That's where we came from, right? That's where we're really at home and just disconnect. You know, I, I will share this final thought and, and it's, really based on the insanity that's going on right now in the world with this viral thing, right? Um, it, it just, it brings home to me that how fearful people have become, you know, and that so many people are living in this state of fear when they don't need to be there. And uh, it's kind of sad to watch for me. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, people are just all wound up about this, and and it's uh, and you don't think clearly when you're when you're in that state of fear. So, um, anything you can do to get yourself out of there, do it. Absolutely, I I totally agree. It's it's such simple advice to just do something different. Um, and and the best teachers that I've had and really respect it's those simple things. You know, do something different, get out of nature, yeah. uh, and try new things because it's yeah. about breaking those patterns. And and it's really sound advice. And yeah, this whole conversation is fascinating. And yeah, I have a lot of things to look up because there's a few uh, people that I wrote wrote down that I didn't know. And and also just you know. I like how you combine both worlds. You've got that science background where what's happening in the brain, what's actually going on there, what chemicals are being released. And so we understand that because then it gives us more information and maybe willingness to try when we're, we're kind of be able to put, oh, this is what's actually happening. And so now it gives me more, more motivation to try. And I think that's important because a lot of people are very logical. And so, uh, you know, that's reasonable. And, and so the more science that we have towards why these things work, I think, I think the more motivation people are going to give it a shot so they can experience the change and transformation that they want. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, um, to me, it just seems like the, the people are eating kind of the standard American diet They're and they're, they're taking prescription drugs. That's not working real well for us. Right. So you, we've got to be willing to do something different, try something different to break, break out of that. Uh, cause, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we've got so much more potential than what we're exploring at all. So I love, I love how you think, man. Well, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I, I hope we stay connected. And where can people find more about you if they want to dive a little bit about, uh, dive into more of your work or maybe experience one of these sessions? Where would they go? Yeah, well, there's, so I'll give you a couple resources. Um, so the, um, the, the website for the neurological integration. Uh, so there's a couple different websites. There's the, the international website uh, out of New Zealand, and that's uh, www.neurolinkglobal, all one word, uh, dot com. And there's a lot of information on there about uh, NIS and how it works. And then we do train practitioners. Uh, now it is limited to licensed healthcare practitioners uh, and the site for training in the US if anybody's interested is, is www.nisusaseminars.com. And that's got information about, about NIS and about, about the seminars that, that, uh, that I teach in the US. And, um, and then my, my practice website is www. or www.fidalgo f i d a l g o islandhealthcenter.com uh, this that's the name of the island that we're on here uh, out in the san juans and um, and we share uh, i've got some blogs on there where i talk quite a bit about some of these strategies that we've talked about today so I encourage people to go there. There's a lot of good resources on the, on that website under the blog section, um, and, um, and yeah, I hope we can stay connected and maybe uh, hop on another another interview sometime. It'd be fun. So, uh, listen, it's been been really really a pleasure, and I'll, I'm going to see Sasha tomorrow. So, oh, nice. uh, I'm going to thank her profusely for hooking us up because. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Amazing. Glad to hear. Well, yeah, I enjoyed this too. Thank you so much for your work and, and what you're doing in the world. I definitely look forward to staying in touch and I invite all the listeners to check out your websites, check out your work, yeah, dive in a little bit more if you're curious. And uh, just thanks so much for coming on the show and thanks everybody for watching. Thanks, Matt. Okay. Take care, Jim. See you guys. Peace. Hey guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode of the show. If you do want to support getting the word out there, please share this, leave a review in iTunes, go to mattbailier.com, sign up for the email list. You can also become a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash mattbailier or join the Mastermind Body and Spirit Academy. And when you do, you'll get access to the amazing Soul Compass course. I would love to have you there getting your feedback 
feedback, your questions, and just making the academy, the exclusive content, the course even better with your feedback. And during this time, we're doing a pay as you want. So just hit me up, Matt Belair or Matt at zenathlete.com or DM me on Instagram or anywhere and let me know what you can afford. Um, and happy to get that course and have you in the academy. And it also supports the show so I can keep doing these and uh, bringing you the best guests and information possible. So thank you so much for listening to this. I hope that you are well, safe, and happy. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.